Welcome, and thank you for joining with us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church in Kannapolis, North Carolina. As associate pastor, Barry Murray shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. All right, good evening. Oh, my word. I think we're in a Catholic church the way you all say, good evening. And sorry, Andrew and I are supposed to sing the special tonight. And uh, my wife is under the weather today, which is very unusual for her. She's hardly ever sick. I think it's all those happy bubbles she has that she, she never gets sick. But, uh, but she was doing better tonight when I left, so keep her in your prayer if you will. But she's getting better. And uh, so I'm not going to sing for you by myself. How's that? You want me to sing? Anyhow. No, he said no, so we're, we're good to go. All right. And uh, we're going to be in Psalms 121, or 122, sorry, Psalms 122 uh, this evening. I was a little worried this morning when Pastor Dean got up and he said, let's turn to Psalms. I said, oh no, where's he going to go? He's going to go to 121, I'll be in trouble. But uh, he did not. There's plenty of Psalms to pick from. <clears throat> but we're going to be looking at that chapter this evening. And how many of you are glad you're saved tonight? Well, I was a little better than the last time you responded to me, but how many of you are really glad you're saved tonight? Well, I don't know. You're getting worse. I think you're getting out of breath, uh, maybe too many donuts or something, whatever. But uh, Psalms 122 is, a, uh, of course, uh, we'll talk about that psalm in a second, but it talks about being glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It talks about uh, living uh, I'll get to that point in a second, I guess, with the Jewish people. But as they would travel to Jerusalem for the feast every year, there was a, a group of psalms that they would sing. I'll talk about that in a moment. And this is one of those songs as they were excited about going to the house of God. And I'm kind of wondering today if we're that excited as we were, as we should be, about being at church tonight. And uh, a lot of people around the world are hiding having church tonight, and they're glad to be there. And yet tonight we can come freely and boldly, and yet. We're not as happy as maybe we should be. Now, uh, I won't jump ahead of my sermon here, but I want to give you some bulletin highlights. Are you ready for this? These are things that we found in church bulletins. You know, i got to have a funny before I preach. And I know Pastor Neal doesn't like that very well, but it just calms my nerves a little bit, I guess. And uh, I'm just teasing about that. Here, here was in, within a bulletin. This church is going to have a fasting and prayer conference, which includes meals. This morning's sermon is Jesus Walks on the Water, a sermon tonight, Searching for Jesus. Uh, ladies, don't forget the Roman cell. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Bring your husbands. Now, some of you like that too well, I can tell, and it's still going on now. Uh, don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. <laughs> Uh, I like that one. Anyhow, uh, oh, this is my favorite. I wish we could get by with this. Miss Charlene Mason sang, I will not pass this way again, giving obvious pleasure to the congregation. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, for those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery. The last one is this. Next Thursday will be tryouts for our choir. They need all the help they can get. Amen. So anyhow, but there's some little things that are put in church bulletins. Our, our bulletin has no room for these kind of things. We have so much stuff in there going on. But anyhow, let's stand tonight to our feet 
Psalms 122, let's just read the whole chapter, there's only nine verses there. And this is a, a little song that I learned years ago. I, I was going to sing it, maybe not sing it, but probably not going to sing it. Uh, but uh, verse number one is, is actually the verse. Uh, verse number two is actually the chorus uh, to this song. Verse number six is another verse, and verse number nine is another verse to a song that, that goes around uh, thinking about, I was glad when they said unto me, but I'm not going to sing it tonight unless the Lord leads me later on into that. But look at verse number one, if you would, with me. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I do feel like too many of us feel like we have to drag ourselves to church or the presence of God anymore, which is kind of sad. Number two, our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto thy testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are, for there are set thrones of judgment and thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. And we see this happening today, don't we? Uh, people who are praying for Jerusalem and peace being there and what's going on in their country. Verse 7, peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and, and companions' sake, I will now say, peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. Thank you, Lord, so much for uh, this wonderful book you've given to us that's not just a book of life, but it's a book of your words. It's a book of uh, what you felt we, need, we would need to get through this Christian life. And God, I pray tonight as we kind of open it up and we go through many scriptures this evening, may you just open our eyes. May we be excited about, first of all, being saved. And second of all, about the opportunity we have to serve you through a local assembly, this church you've given to us. And I sure ask you to bless this sermon tonight. Give us all listening ears. A listening heart, and in my pray, amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. Psalms 120 through Psalms 134 are what some people have called the Psalms of Ascension. And they were, they were traveling Psalms, as I've already mentioned, and as the feast would happen three times a year uh, to the Jewish people, and they were going to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast, they would sing these Psalms along the way. They're known as Ascension Psalms, which mean uh, from anywhere in the Promised Land, Jerusalem was always the highest point. So they're always sending up to Jerusalem. It was always going up uh, to where they're going to be at. So the people would sing these as they would send uh, up to Jerusalem for the uh, feast, whatever was going on at that time. And the lesson was this, I get from this chapter is this, and I kind of want to insert this, uh, is are we really enjoying our ascension? We are traveling up. I guess no one's going with me. I'm going by myself. And uh, we are traveling, and, and we believe heaven is up, right? And we're traveling, and we're ascending, and, but are we really excited? Are we really glad about it? Are we just putting up with it because it's the thing to do? And are we enthused about it? Now, listen, uh, I, I was raised in a Nazarene church. My teen years, I kind of went to a Methodist church. I'm kind of like Pastor Dean. I may be more Methodist than uh, shouting a Pentecostal Baptist guy is. but I'm excited personally about what God's done in my life. And I hope that comes out in my daily life, and not even my daily life, but my service for him. 
But I've been reading this book lately, and I read this book many years ago, and I won't go through all the, the, the reasons why I'm reading it, reading it, going back through it again. I'm not going the sales business, but it was written by a man who was very, very successful in the sales business. His name was Zig Ziglar. Some of you may have heard of him, not heard of him, but back in the 70s and 80s, he was big, and would go out and speak, especially at churches like, like ours, and, and trying to, to uh, uh, encourage people. But I was reading the book, and he gave a definition. He said, he gave a definition for the word enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. And I was thinking as I was reading, I said, well, I don't think that word's in the Bible anywhere, and as far as I can remember, recollect, but I'll, I'll go check on that. But he said this, and he gave a Greek definition for this word enthusiasm. Uh, just in the Greek language. So being curious and being skeptical, because he's not a preacher, he's not a theologian, he's not a Greek scholar. I said, I don't know if I believe this guy or not. So guess what I did? I went and searched, did a word study and a word search, and guess what I found out? He was right. In the Greek language, his definition for the word enthusiasm meant, meant to be an inspiration or a possession of God. In our English language, in the first couple hundred years of our English language, enthusiasm was primarily employed to refer to our beliefs or passions that relate to religion. It means a feeling of energetic interest in a particular subject or activity and an eagerness uh, to be involved in something. And enthusiasm is derived from, from two words in the Greek, obviously, en or ev, if you would, in, in the Greek language, and then theos. Uh, in the Greek, and the en means presence, and theos, of course, we know is the word for God. And you couldn't even say doctrine of God. So, simply this enthusiasm in our world that we live in, its root concept is this, which is the title of the message tonight full of God. Full of God. He termed it a possession of God. I've kind of termed it full of God. In modern Hebrew language, enthusiasm means to be inflamed, not a medical sense, but an impassioned. I'm impassioned about something. Webster Dictionary says the meaning of enthusiasm is excitement, uh, to be stirred or to be thrilled. And some would even say uh, that to have enthusiasm, we have enthusiasm at times and what they're doing uh, at particular moments. But the question I get for me is this. Am I really into God in my life? Am I full of God? Is he really there? Uh, He's speaking now. Didn't you hear him? You better get scared. I heard it. I don't know what it was, but I heard it. And uh, many times we 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 mistakenly use the word enthusiasm. We use the word enthusiasm, and I'm not saying it's wrong to do this. I'm just saying in our world that we live in. But we get excited and enthused with a ball game. We get energized with something that we enjoy sport-wise, if you would. Or, or like even now, in the playoffs, are going on in football. And, of course, all of our teams are out, and teams are playing we don't know and don't care about. But we're still going to pick one and root for them, right? It's part. It's enthusiasm. We're enthusiasm for the game. And I can spend a lot of time. You watch those crazy nuts that go to those games, how they dress. I would have made caught dead looking like most of those people look going to those games. And the, and the outfits they wear, you think it's Halloween. And, uh, but, but they're enthused about that. But the sad, that sad thing enough is, listen to me, they're enthused about a game. 
it's still a game. Something people play. But you and I are living a life that's not a game. It's real. And am I enthused about the life I'm living serving God? Am I excited about what's happening? And we all have our excitement uh, uh, in different ways. We all, we all show our excitement in different ways. Some people clap. Some people uh, 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 yell out. Some people uh, just get all bubbly on the inside and don't tell nobody. And some people would love to run the auditorium if Pastor Dean will let you. And I, I'm going to tell you right now, somebody ought to because uh, we, we need a little help here in that area. I'm being funny there. But uh, we'll fight for the front seat at the concert. We'll fight for the best seat at some sporting event. But Lord help us, we're not sitting in the front row of church. This is just obvious observation. I sit up front and have sat up front for years. Why? Because I don't want, to, I don't want you to distract me what's going on up front on the platform. People distract you in, during church. Sorry, I got a little, I'm got a little bit of anger's got. I got a dry throat. So please forgive me for that. But, but uh, uh, we love to, to be in the front row, and, I, and I'm a front row guy, but I've always been. I like to sit in the front row. I sat in the front row of classes at school. I sat in the front row at the big church I was a part of and whatever. I like the front row. I like to be excited. I'm enthused about it, uh, more so than, than uh, maybe telling a joke or, or what it may be. But what about sharing the gospel? Am I excited about doing that? I got some things I want to give you tonight, this evening. I got some quotes about some people. I got a lot of verses about some things. And then I want to go through the Bible quickly and give us all some points of reference tonight about some exciting things in the Bible. And I think one of the things that's happened to us over the years is we've kind of become numb because we've spent pastors, preachers, churches, a lot of time on the negative, not on the positive. And I'm not a positive, prosperity-type preacher guy, whatever, whatsoever, but I think we spent many, many years trying to downgrade everybody and make them feel like they're worthless instead of building people up, as I think Jesus did as he, when he was here. He who is without sin may cast the first stone, he said, to encourage the woman, right? A.W. A. Tozer said this, if we evangelicals had one-third the enthusiasm of some of the cults, we would take over our continent. Luke 4, uh, 14, 34 says, Salt is good, but if salt has lost its savor, how can it be seasoned? Charles Schwab, not the financier, but uh, a great American industrialist who rose from poverty uh, and later formed the U.S. Steel Corporation, said this, you can succeed at almost anything for which you have an unlimited enthusiasm. Ralph uh, Waldo Emerson said, nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. Norman Vincent Peale. Years wrinkle the skin, but lack of enthusiasm wrinkles the soul. Some guy named Murray saying this tonight. If your goal in life is eternity, you will be enthused about life and the cares and weights of this life will fall by the wayside. If you're enthused, uh, if your goal in life is eternity, my goal, listen, my goal is not to get to the coffin someday. My goal is eternity. 
and I want to live, and I, and I have to keep focusing myself on this, and it's, it, you, it's, you, gotta, it's a, you gotta make, it's discipline, you gotta make yourself do it, but my goal is not one day uh, when I'm in the, in the casket, uh, leaving my wife and family some money, leaving my wife and family a legacy, even though it's all part of it, my goal is long what happens past that. And my goal is eternity, so a lot of the things of his life that happened, I just like kind of let them go by the wayside, because that's not my goal. And I feel God's people are living their Christian life with the wrong goal. And the goal is eternity. Now, listen, I understand we're going to get there. But it's still the goal I'm shooting for. So what I want to try to do in my life is live it so that what I do will matter that one day in eternity, not when I'm in my casket. So I've, I've left Andrea totally in debt. She'll be underwater when I'm gone. <clears throat> Some of you got that, some of you haven't got that. All right, let's go on here. What are some verses about enthusiasm in the Bible? Let me give you some verses quickly. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, uh, verse 10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy what? With all thy might. Mark 12, 30, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And this is the first commandment. And there's dozens like that in Scripture. That whatever I do for the Lord should be done with all my might and with all my strength. Romans 12, 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It's enthusiastic. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, know you not that ye which run a race, run all, but one receiveth the, the prize, so run that ye may obtain. We're in a race, we've got to be excited. Colossians 3, 23, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto. And I believe the problem is right there, isn't it? We're trying to do things unto man and not the Lord. Because our goal is not eternity. Our goal is the next day or whatever may be going on. So the question in front of us this evening is this. To all of us, are we full of God? Are we enthusiastic about our relationship with God? And does that life we, we live, does it bear witness of being enthusiastic? When someone brings up your belief, someone brings up uh, uh, whatever it may be going on in your life, whether it's your Bible reading, your prayer life, your church service, whatever it may be, when someone brings that up to you, are you enthusiastically telling them what you're doing or are you kind of humdrum about it or you don't have a story to tell them? What are we like? Are we full of God or not? Number one, let me say this this evening, Jesus caused excitement to happen. Jesus caused excitement. When Jesus showed up in town, brother, everybody knew he was in town. He caused excitement. There were people that came to hear him and people who were intrigued by what he was doing. They never came to Christ as Savior. They never came to send him like Nicodemus, what must I do to be saved? They never did that, but they came because there was something exciting about him, something enthusiastic about him when he showed up. Uh, in his triumphal entry in Jerusalem. Are you telling me all those people that lined the streets there of Jerusalem and, and cried out and followed him saying, Hosanna, blessed he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They're all followers and believers of Christ. No, they're there for the party. They're there for the excitement. What was happening? This guy is coming to town and we think he might be a king. They were excited. He, he brought excitement. When he showed up in town to heal people, uh, he caused some excitement. And then the religious people kept trying to pour water on the excitement, didn't they? His birth caused excitement. Glory to God in the highest 
and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That sounds pretty negative to me. I'm not really sure I'd be, I'd be enthusiastic about that. Uh, and it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us, not, let us go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now we understand the baby brings excitement. But this baby was different. This baby was now the savior of the world. And it said, glory to God. And his earth, listen, his birthday is still exciting 2,000 years later. Isn't it? He brought excitement. He brought enthusiasm. Everywhere he went, uh, there was enthusiasm. It was contagious. When the Spirit of God indwells us and transforms us uh, from being lukewarm, bump on a log, to a fiery Christian, something happens. Now, listen, I don't mean you got to run around and act like a fool. I don't mean you're going you're gonna to be uh, so crazy, you're not really thinking what you're doing straight. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you just being excited about the very fact that you got Jesus living in your heart. He saved you from a devil's hell, and the eternity is going to be great. But we live as if it's the end of the world. We are in prison right now trying to live this Christian life, and we're not. We ought to be enthusiastic about it. It should be contagious. I'll tell you, when God starts moving in a church, it's because somebody or some people have become enthusiastic about God. They're full of God in their life. Number two, the people got excited about Jesus. When Jesus showed up to a town, there was excitement. Number two, the people got excited about Jesus not understanding everything was going on. They got excited. Oh, I love this story in Mark chapter 5 of the maniac Gadara. I, and I tell, told this story years and years ago to, to kids when I would preach junior church, and I'd get into this thing. I'm not going to do that tonight. But can you imagine uh, how the townspeople felt about this naked guy up in the tombs and the caves? They chained him up. They beat him up, and he still broke everything loose and drove them all crazy. He come into town. He bust your window, your storefront. He antagonized your, your customers and run everybody off, and everybody knew who he was, right? He was a maniac. There's not a single maniac in this whole room. Look at you. You're all sleeping. You're on the floor. Look. No, I'm just easy. But he was crazy. But when Jesus got off the boat in the country of the gatherings, a demon-possessed man met him there who had a legion of demons. He couldn't be bound by the folks. He spent his time in the tombs crying, cutting himself with stones, scaring people off running people away. But when he saw Jesus afar off, the Bible says in Mark 5, he ran and he worshiped Jesus, even being possessed by a legion of demons. He knew who he was. And I find the conversation very interesting. I can't tell whether he's always talking to the man or talking to the demons at times, even though I think I got it figured out. But he said to Jesus, as he ran out of the tomb, ran out of the cave, he's naked as a jaybird. He runs up to see him. He's all excited. But then he says, what have I to do with thee, Jesus? I know I'm standing here. I'm all excited about this. But I think it's the demons are speaking. They're saying, hey, we have nothing to do with you right now. We're not sure why we're here, right? But the man himself was enthusiastic about what was happening. And he said, I adjure you. I beg you, don't torment me. 
I can't take anymore. Then the man speaks. He said, listen, Jesus, I got this stuff happening inside of me. I can't take no more. Please don't torment me. He was afraid of Jesus was going to make it worse or even punish him. And Jesus ordered the unclean spirits out of that man. And he was possessed, the Bible says, with a legion of demons. And, of course, you know the story. They ran into the swine and ran down the, ran down the field. And all the swine died in the water. And all the farmers got mad. But this man was excited and enthused by the fact that Jesus came to his area, came to his town to the point he fought off the possession of these demons to go meet Jesus. And Jesus healed him. But after that, which I never heard before as I was studying this week about this, after that, Jesus said to go his way, go do his thing. But as they, him and the disciples were done with their ministry, they were coming back to the boat and going to leave. But when they got ready to get on the boat, the man came back and met him. And he said, hey, can I go with you? I am so excited about what happened to me. Can I travel with you? And that's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 5, verse 19. How be it, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, you go home to thy friends, and you tell them how great things the Lord hath done uh, for thee, and hath compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish uh, in the, the capitalist all how great things Jesus had done for him, and all the men did marvel. There's enthusiasm in this man because he'd been healed, he'd been, he'd been rescued from Jesus Christ. He said, you go back. Listen, folks, if you don't read the scripture and get excited about what you got, your wood is all wet. You're missing the Bible. This man was excited about what happened to him, and he just said, you go tell your, can you imagine his mom, when he walked back in the door, say, hey, mom, it's me. It's the maniac. And she knows exactly what he's been doing. She knows exactly what he's been going through. She knows exactly how he's lived. And Jesus said, you go back home and tell your friends and your family what happened to me. And every one of those friends and family knew exactly who he was. And when he shows up in his right mind and dressed, I'm pretty sure it was a suit and tie, Stacy Adams' shoes, I'm, no, I'm teasing. He went back dressed in his right mind. They said, something happened to this guy. And they got excited. The woman at the well in John chapter 4. The woman, of course, she was so well-liked. She had had five husbands. And she was working on number six. And she had come to a meeting place with Jesus. When Jesus told her all about herself and how she was living, she got excited, didn't she? She ran back in town to tell folks what was going on. In John 4, 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? I'm sure she walked in like this. Hey, you guys got to come out and see this guy. He told me all things that ever happened. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't her attitude whatsoever. Look, I guarantee you everyone in town knew who she was also. How you can say that? She had five husbands. And she's working on number six. Don't tell me folks don't gossip about that kind of stuff. Right? And tell stories about that kind of stuff. So they knew who she was. When she went back and told them what happened to her, hey, this guy told me everything about me. The people get excited. I don't know what your story is exactly. I don't know exactly what your, your day of salvation may have been, but it should be the most exciting thing that ever happened to you in your life when you came to Christ. 
We think about the little blind boy in John chapter 9. There's a lot of preaching in John chapter 9. I spent all night long just on John chapter 9 preaching. In fact, I think I have a sermon too out of that chapter. But listen, when, when uh, a lot of things are going on, first of all, it, it, after Jesus heals his blind boy, uh, the people said, well, who sinned here? Him or his parents? Remember that? Who's the one fa- whose fault is this that he was born blind? Him or his parents? Or who sinned? And Jesus said, no, that the works of God may be manifest, point number two. Then Jesus said, uh, Jesus said, I must be busy about doing the work that I'm sent here to do. And then he said, a great, a great old uh, uh, wise fable, wise tale to heal people is you get some slimy, spitty clay and you put it in your eyes. And you'll heal the blind man. That's also in the story. The neighbor begins saying, well, this boy, wasn't this the boy who was blind? And the Pharisee said, who did this? Who has the power to do this? Uh, how can they do something like this on, on this day? And blah, blah, blah. And they're trying to, they asked the boy. They asked the parents. They asked the neighborhood. And uh, finally, <clears throat> they asked the blind man again for the third time in verse 17. And he says, what sayest thou of him to open up thy eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. He came to me. And he said to them, I don't know. All I know is this. I don't know who the sinner is. I don't know whose fault it is I'm blind. I was blind. I don't know. All I know is this. Once I was blind, and now I can see. Don't tell me that doesn't bring enthusiasm into someone's life and some family's life. The lame man at the main, at the main man gate there in Acts chapter 3 and uh, begging out there as the disciples come in. And uh, he was asking for alms, but he got legs. Some of you got that. Some of you didn't get that. Some of you old folks got that. Some of you young were like, what's an alm? But anyhow, how about arm? He was asking for arm, but he got legs. Anyhow, couldn't walk. But when they healed him, and, uh, he got healed. He leaped up and stood up and walked and entered, in, entered with the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And I want to know who's going to tell him to sit down and shut up. He can't act that way in church. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. The people got excited when Jesus showed up. And I think one of the, the downfalls of the day's church is we're no longer excited about Jesus. We're trying to, I think we try to make a fake worship. I think we try to make a, a false sense of attitude in, in the building. And we're just, the problem is we're just not excited about what happened to me. I'm, I'm, anyhow, I got burst off there. I'll get in trouble for what I'm thinking at the moment. But I think we ought to join these people and be excited and be enthused about what happened. When you really sit down and think about where you were headed as a dirty, rotten, no good sinner and where you're headed now. I can't for the life of me figure out why you're not excited about that. I wonder sometimes that God could just open up the pits of hell so we could see where we were headed. Just to get excited. This is where you were going to go. And this is where you're going. We don't take time to think about that. Because we're just, it's just the go-to thing. It's what we're supposed to do. So we do it. Number, uh, listen, we ought not be the thermostat we ought to be, I mean, we ought to be the thermostat, not the thermometer. We ought to set the temperature in the room, not, not come down to where it may be at. Number three, and this is where I just mentioned already, we should be excited about being saved. We should be excited about being saved. 
Oh, happy day, oh, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. He taught me how to watch and pray and live rejoicing every day. Happy day, happy day, when Jesus washed my sins away. We ought to be excited about that. We ought to be enthusiastic about that. We're not perfect. We're not sinless. We're not going to achieve there. We're trying to get there. But we ought to be excited about the fact that we got saved. It's the greatest thing that ever happened to you, happened to me, was the day we got saved. That's why my goal is to live for eternity, not for today. Because if I live for today, my goal is not being excited about what happened to me when I got saved. It's the greatest thing that happened to me or not. Nothing could take away the place of knowing you have a right standing in the eyes of the Lord. And you don't deserve to be at that place, by the way. But we all stand there, boldly come through the throne. The burden of sin is gone. And joy and peace and contentment ought to be in our hearts. We have a new purpose to live. We, uh, we, we, uh, and I know it's, it, there's more to it than just heaven, but I still want to live the Christian life I have yet, but I'm excited because I'm saved. Saved, saved, saved. Saved to the uttermost from the guttermost. And we ought to be excited about that. And we ought to be thrilled about it. We ought to have some enthusiasm about that. And, and I go on, let me go on here. Uh, Mark, uh, Matthew 10, 39, he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life shall, what? Shall find it. You lose it, you get it, and you enjoy the Christian life. Number four is this. I'm hurrying through this. Number four, we ought to be excited about seeing other people get saved. We ought to be excited about seeing other people saved. And I'm not here to... To, to ride or rail or anything this evening whatsoever. It's just a point that I think that fits into the message very well. But, you know, there was a day when we loved to see somebody get saved. I can remember a day, some of you remember that, you've been in church for years. I remember a day when after the service, the altar was full. There's two, three, four people being dealt with for salvation. There's a group of folks around them. There's folks all across the altar praying for these people wanting to get saved. And we didn't care about going home. We didn't care if it was noon. We didn't care if it was noon. We didn't care if it was time to go home. We didn't care about the birthday party that we got to get to because it's Sunday afternoon. We were excited about these folks who are coming to a knowledge of Christ. Some who we may have been praying for. Some who we may have influenced a little bit. Some may be a worker or a neighbor or family member or whatever, and we were excited about that, and we were enthused about that. But it seems like today, oh, well, good, I'm good. I'm glad they got saved, but I'm glad they're all right. But uh, let's go on. What's next? What we need to do is when that person gets saved is reach down, pick them up, and say, here, let me show you how to walk the Christian life. Let me show you what God's done for me in my life. Let me show you how I got to this point. Let me show you uh, uh, where I'm at and take that person and disciple that person, which I believe is part of the commission, by the way. It's not just get them with the gospel, but also disciple them and teach them all things. And, and we should be excited about that. Uh, we should be stirred and thrilled about seeing other people get saved to the point that sometimes you're rude about it. Now, I understand about being courteous and kind, and not, not overbearing with things. But I think we've come to the place in the church now, we're, we're so protective about this, that we're afraid to be abrupt with people about their soul. 
I mean, I got to tell you, if my, I woke up one night in the middle of the night, my neighbor's house is on fire. You heard the illustration before. My neighbor's house is on fire. I'm going to do more than call 911. Right? I'm going to run over there as fast as I can, see if I can help get anybody out of the house. Is anybody home? Anything happen? I want to do, help, do what I can to help somebody get out of the house. I think that would be my obligation as just being a human being. And we'd like someone that, to, to do that with me. But, but uh, we're talking about something far more important than a house being burnt down, which is very sad. We're talking about one soul being lost forever in eternity. And we can't seem to take a spare moment or two, get out of our schedule a little bit, to be excited about somebody being saved. I guarantee you, somebody was excited about you getting saved. Not just you, but somebody God used in your life. We need to be stirred and thrilled about seeing other folks get saved. And uh, I, would, I would love to uh, wish my wife was here this evening because my wife, man, she's a hunting dog. And she finds out somebody's not saved. She's going she's gonna to tree that coon. I know you can't say it nowadays, but I did. Sorry. That's where I call them, where I come from, even Redneck, Pennsylvania. And, uh, but anyhow, but we're, we're still going to go after them. Lovingly, kindly, gently. And because uh, if, I, if I go home and bring a name to somebody, man, she's hot on rice, man. She's, she's, she's white on rice. She's got, I'm going to work. Where, where are they at? Who is it? Who are you talking about? Let me go see her. And, uh, and, and we ought to be excited about that. We have an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody who needs to hear about Christ. Number five. We ought to be excited about our church. We ought to be excited about our church. Look how the Lord has blessed our church. I can look around the room. It's five years of me being here, Andrew and I being here, and the new faces that God has brought our direction is, is thrilling to me. How you put up with us, I'm not sure. But we're so glad you're here. But not only that, it's the old faces that are excited about the new faces that are now in charge of the church. And what new things we're trying to do and reach out to help people. And the new things we're willing to go out and ask the Lord for leadership and wisdom. They'll go out and we're excited about what's happening. Now, it, unfortunately, though, it takes some work sometimes. Fortunately, it takes a little bit of sacrifice maybe. But, but we ought to be excited. Now, listen, look around our buildings. This is an amazing place here. And what we have in our buildings. And we, we utilize them. And I appreciate that about it. We have them here. And I found myself often saying, well, that person messed up that area. Then I got to say, thank God we had something going on. And I'll, be, I'll, I'll admit to you, I cleaned up some of your messes after you were done in here. I didn't grumble and complain. I said, thank God it was able to be used for God. This is what it's all about. It's not about me. It's about our church being used for the cause of Christ. And I'm talking about ministry things going on right now. And look what he's given us, uh, the things we have and where we would come from. And we ought to really be excited and be shouting glory about what we have here. And the fact it's all paid for. That's, that's, that's amazing. And I can spend time on that, but I'm not going to do that tonight. We ought to be excited about our future. Where are we headed? And one of the things that, that drew, drew me, I'll be very personal with this, one of the things that drew 
uh, me, uh, not only to, to join the church, Andrew and I to stay here, but also to come and, and work with Pastor Dean, was Pastor Dean has a vision. And he always has new visions, which drive me crazy. Because it means the more we got to do. But he has a vision. And he has visions of things that we can do. Now, some we can do, some we can't do. They're just a vision, and some we talk about. Some, can we do this? Can we, I, don't, I don't know. Can we do this? Can we, we need this, this, and this. But you want somebody to be your leader who has a vision. Without any vision, the people perish. And we just go down like every other church in town. We just kind of go down that road of dying. You got to have a vision for new things, new ways to reach out to people. And I appreciate the Lord for that. And we ought to be excited about that. Listen, we should be excited about the future of our church. What's yet to come? Is God preparing us for some big awakening? I hope so. But are you ready? Or are you the stick in the mud? And say, no, we can't do it that way here. And that's what some people say. No, we can't do it that way here. It was never been done like that before. Uh, we got to be careful. We see what's happening and what God can really do with the place. And I think God, and I agree with Pastor Dean about it, I believe that God's preparing us for some great things to happen yet. And I'm excited about that. I'm looking forward to that. That means I'm running around here, running around here like a kid with my head cut off, but I'm excited about what's happening, what's going on, uh, for what the unexpected may be. We got to be positive. Why? Because Paul says this, finally, my brethren, whatsoever you do, whatsoever things you are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And as you and I, God, this Christian life, we're thinking about those pure things. We've got to be thinking about them and be enthusiastic about those things. Rejoice evermore, Paul says in Thessalonians. Verse Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. It's a matter of how we want to look at life. Two illustrations here and we're done. Young psychology student was serving in the Army. He decided to test a theory that he had, thought he knew everything about psychology. He drew kitchen duty. His job was to pass out apricots at the end of the chow line. So he first started this way. He'd asked a few soldiers that came by, would you want any apricots? And about 90% said no. So he tried the positive approach. He asked them, uh, he asked them this question, uh, do you want any, uh, you do want apricots, don't you? trying to put it in their mind. And about half of them said, yeah, they'll take some, even though they didn't like them. His third test, which I like, was the best test. He said this, one dish of apricots or two? And in spite of the fact the soldiers didn't like the Army's apricots, 40% took two dishes, and 50% took one dish. So 90% took some apricots. It's all a matter of how you think about it. Expectation creates enthusiasm. There was a cartoon, <clears throat> uh, read this years ago, I clipped it out and I saved it, but was a little, there was a boy in school, fourth grade boy in school, and on the chalkboard behind is a cartoon caption, and behind there, there's all kinds of math problems up there on the board, I'm sure some of you students will like this. And the picture is with him going toe to toe 
and nose to nose with his teacher because the answer's not right. Behind them, the chalkboards cover all these problems that the boy hadn't finished. And the caption says this the boy says, I'm not an underachiever. You are an overexpector. It just depends on how you want to live life. Depends on how you want to go in life. And the last thing I want to say, I'm jumping to the last thing, is this. As we saw there in Psalms 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. All week long is your excitement, exciter about getting to spend time with God and be full of God. It's not just church on Sunday. It's not just the Bible study on Wednesday night. It's every day of my life getting full of God, filling the tank back up. I love the story of David in 2 Samuel chapter 6. I won't read all the verses tonight, but David has been trying to get the Ark of the Covenant to come back into Jerusalem, come back to the palace. We understand it's been at Obed-Edom's house for so long, and David hears the news that the Ark is blessing his house, and things are great at Obed-Edom's house, and he's excited. David hears that. He does what he can. He finally gets the Ark to the, to the house, to his place, and we know the story that David danced around the Ark of the Covenant. He was so glad that finally the presence of God was now in the city of God, in the palace of God, to the point that his wife got mad at him because he was showing himself. And we can spend all night debating about the dancing. But I believe David was so overwhelmed that God's presence was there with him. He was so full of God that he couldn't help himself but not to dance. I think a worshiping, respectful dance in the presence of God. Not anybody else, just David and God. Now look, I'm not starting any dance classes. But I want to ask you this. Are you so full of God that as you read his word, you pray, spend time with him, you come to a church like ours and hear the word of God preached that sometimes your soul is overwhelmed, you wish you could figure out how to dance like David? I forget this preacher telling the story one day. He had a huge ministry, a lot going on. I can't imagine the burden that he was carrying, but he talked about and he spoke out most every Monday and Tuesday of his life. He spoke somewhere trying to encourage people in different conferences and things like that. But he told this story one day, and I was sitting there in my seat, felt so guilty. He said, we got done with the service. I got back to my motel room, not at his home place, not at home, not his home, not his home state, somewhere else. He said, I took off my shoes. I put them on my hands. I jumped on the bed in the motel room. I started clapping and bouncing on the bed, praising God. And you say, well, man, he must have been, he must have been really slaying the spirit. No, he was just full of God. But privately, on his own, he was having a spell with God. And the question I'm just asking all of us tonight is this. Have there been times in your life where you're so full of God that you've done something crazy like that? I was going to want to ask him, did you break the bed in the motel? But we ought to be excited. Are we full of God tonight? Does it 
enthusiasm just come out of us when the right opportunity comes because we know God. And we're glad we belong to him. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God this evening. God, thank you for this word you've given to us that we can look at it, we can be instructed. And yes, Lord, we can see the P's and Q's of life and we can see uh, uh, some of the format of how we ought to be living our lives. But God, more importantly to me is the fact that I can see that I can be full of you, be full of your presence, be enthusiastic about you in my life. And God, I really believe that many of your people are struggling with even some mental issues, some, some maybe depression or panic issues, Lord, because we haven't really got a grip of the relationship we can have with you. People got excited when Jesus came in around. They got excited when he came into their life. And we ought to be excited because we get to serve our risen Savior who bled and died and was buried for us on the cross. Dear friend, tonight, as our heads are still bowed and our eyes are closed this evening, I just got one question for you tonight. Do you feel, not anybody else, do you feel you're full of God? You're enthusiastic about what God's done for you and what God's going to do for you. Then if the answer is not, you're not sure, I'm begging you tonight. Do some soul searching. Do some investigation to yourself. Not, don't look at anybody else. Look at yourself. And, and find out, I need to be full of God. How, how can I get there? What, what I need to do and change in my life to get where I want to be at? What can I do? Because I want to be enthusiastic in my Christian life as I look for eternity. If that's your need tonight, I'm just going to ask you to follow the Spirit of God's leading tonight as we stand and sing a few verses tonight. Will you do some business with God? Are you full? Half empty, three-fourths full, whatever it may be. Let's fill it all the way to the top. I like a full tank. Can we stand on our feet, sing a few verses tonight. What is God? How full does God have you? Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.